Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With. Conversations with your favourite theatre actors and creatives. Hello, I'm Mikey Worrell. This week, we're joined by the two-time Drama Desk Award nominee, Christina Bianco. You may know her from her Diva Impressions videos, which have had more than 25 million views on YouTube. Her onstage credits include Forbidden Broadway, Fanny Bryce and Funny Girl at the Marigny in Paris, and she's performed her own solo shows across the world at the London Hippodrome, the Royal Albert Hall, the Edinburgh Fringe, all the way to the Sydney Opera House. She recently worked on a five-part musical podcast called The Ballad of Anne and Mary, and in that she played a pirate in 18th century London. She was in that podcast alongside Suze Kempner and Carl Queensborough, who's going to be playing Hamilton again when the show opens up in the West End. Christina will be back in the UK next year as well to lead a new UK tour of the rise and fall of Little Voice, which is due to open in Southampton in March next year. We recorded this conversation a few months ago. It was before the announcement of the Broadway revival of Funny Girl, which will star Beanie Feldstein. So there's a bit of discussion about whether or not the Paris production of Funny Girl will go to New York. Obviously, that's not going to happen now. And it was also before the announcement of the tour of the rise and fall of Little Voice. So when Christina says, oh, there's something happening next year in a tour that I can't tell you about, that's what she's talking about. Here's my conversation with Christina Bianco. Hello. Hi. So I'm getting situated. You have such a lovely background. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So there's a closet. Um, So with me, um, first of all, hi, it's nice to meet you. Hello. Nice to meet you. (laughs) Um, Second of all, it is a bit of comedy right now that there's a lot of construction going on in the building and on the street. So we're going to just lean into the whole Christina's in sure. New York and crazy New York and everything's getting back to going. Sure thing. <laughs> it's fine. I've done so many of these in dressing rooms where the bulbs like hum for like an hour and a half straight. So yeah. I'm totally fine. Don't worry. Let's start uh, by talking about the Ballad of Anne and Mary. Um, I I was listening to it this morning. I, I, I went for a pedicure. So I listened to it on my way to and from on my walk. Very nice. And um, self-care, self-care, 2021. Um, yes, we have to. We've all learned. Oh, yeah. my God, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was it, it, it's a really cool medium to do a drama in because, I mean, over here, you know, we have all the old BBC Radio 4 dramas, like The Archers and stuff like that. But to have a musical... It was really cool. I'm 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 only one episode in, so don't don't spoil anything. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, one is great. I do a lot in one. Two splits it up a bit more. Um, but one of my fa- my favorite number ever. Uh, it's a long, lengthy musical sword fight <laughs> with that I do with Suze Kempner, and it is my absolute favorite thing. So do get to episode two. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm I'm really enthusiastic about all the audio drama radio dramas or audio dramas um let alone an audio musical like this because we really don't do that in the u.s the only thing on tape we listen to are books on tape sure and it's never quite the same it's one person reading very oh no i've lost you i don't know what just happened there oh you're back you're back thank you my dear hopefully we'll be okay Saying my connection is unstable and just stopped. You look perfectly. You're not pixelated, so okay. you look stable. Okay, I look. I look <laughs> the title of Christina Bianco's book. She looks stable. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, but so we don't really do the any 
audio dramas, audio comedies, let alone an audio musical. And so when they asked me to do it, I was like, oh, a lifelong dream, you know, particularly because I, I've spent so much time in the UK and now I'm a fan of all of those programs. Um, and so I just thought it was such a great opportunity for me to, to dive in and do something I'd never done before. I'd done voiceover work, but there's nothing quite like this, you know? Um, and they don't pay me to say this. It's just unbelievable what Lawrence and Lindsay have done. It's unbelievable because they're not, they don't have a, a massive budget. You know, they were, they were given a grant and everybody was supportive, but it's still so limited and so, um, uh, what they've done is they've made it truly a home project. So not only did I record this from, you know, this closet, <laughs> Truly and deeply, but everyone recorded it from home in the ways that they could. You know, we got the best mics and everything that we each could, um, but they had to make an entire world and multiple locations and be at sea, you know, in their little, uh, I think it's a little um, shed in the back of their, uh, behind their house in their garden, they've got the shed, it's called like the house of sounds, and they've got all the different sounds in there, and and Lawrence ruffling, you know, um, rustling his jacket to make it sound like he's bumping into somebody, and all those things are typically done in very specific ways in a studio, they had to find a way to replicate at home. And uh, so when you add that on to the fact that they've written such a beautiful story um, that's funny and dramatic and has tension is, is exciting and gorgeous music, like really, really great music. And I don't say that lightly either. Um, uh, one of the songs that you would have heard me sing in uh, episode one, this song Cut and Run, to this yes. day is one of the hardest things I have ever had to sing in my life. But it's one of those things where you don't go, oh God, this is so hard. This is ridiculous. You go, oh my God, this is so hard. I have to get this right. Oh my God, I have to get this right. And, you know, and, and I, I definitely... You know, he's always like, try to make it organic. We don't want to splice together 40 different takes. And I'm a perfectionist, but, you know, you also want to keep it real. And so I just can't, I always say, I can't wait now to get out and sing that in a live concert version of Anne and Mary, which somebody has to produce because it's just so exciting. Yeah. And then to hear it all put together, that was the whole other thing for me was I was doing a lot of these scenes, not all of them. But a lot of them with nobody on the other end. And then sometimes I'd say, okay, well, if I record first or if Suze records first, let's even a rough draft, let's just sort of hear the way each other's doing, you know, the, the other one is doing it. Uh, because it is very hard to assume how someone is saying a line to you. Um, so they, they let us have a little bit of freedom like that. And Suze and I would chat a bit and at least get the right tone. So I could, I could guess the snarky way she was going to say <laughs> the line if I didn't already have a version of it so yeah amazing how I piece it together yeah I mean it, it sounds like such a, a, a the, the production is is incredible like to say that they've done that in a shed because it's crazy <laughs> yeah I mean uh, that is it's just bonkers I, and that's the thing is that you know obviously technology has made it so we can do things from home now and and that's an incredible thing and I think people were always appreciative appreciative of that but obviously during the pandemic so many people's work went to only digital only virtual and i mean even i did i did projects um and i it's not spoiling too much because you don't know when it's coming out but i did some voice work for rupaul's drag race again during this whole pandemic and the first time they asked me to record something i did not have a great setup and so I'm now going, how do they even accept that? Because as the time goes on, you sort of go, okay, well, you know what? It's worth the investment to buy this. Or now I know the best way to use this because I've learned it. And I, or I know that the best way to soundproof this corner, you know. So it's, it's a learning process. But thankfully, by the time we got to Anne and Mary, I think a lot of us at least had a handle on how to approach doing an entire recording from home. And it's, it's tricky. And, I, you know, not only do you have to be 
um, the artist, but then you sort of have to figure out, okay, well, I want to send them all this. So do I want to send it with all of my breathing and talking and telling the dog to shush or do I? So then I, I would make, try to make it easy, as easy on them as possible and, you know, edit out the fat, you know, <laughs> and send it to For them. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. These, and, and, you know, that's when you go, oh, thank goodness I have, you know, credible Wi-Fi and all that stuff. Because all those all those things that normally, you know, the artist doesn't have to do, a technician typically does, we were also forced to do. So uh, I say forced, but, you know, when you're doing it for something you love, it was just exciting. So. We're all just self-producing now, aren't we, I guess? Yeah, it's true. And it's, it's also funny because I had come off of a long time of performing solo concerts back to back. And I had, hadn't done a musical in a very long time. And so not only was I doing, um, you know, not because I was traveling so much, I didn't do a lot of videos from home or a lot of um, filmed content for social media platforms for screen like YouTube, because, you know, I've put some YouTube videos out. Um, but I had that set up. Like, I had a camera. I had a light. I had a curtain. I had I had some things that a lot of other people don't normally have. And I also had the experience of self-producing and taking on the work that the artist typically doesn't do. I did that for a very long time, and I was getting a little burned out by that, um, you know, loving what I do. But, again, it's hard to be the... Even, even if you have wonderful agents or managers or producers or whatnot, it's still on you, you know, when you're the only person, you know, choosing the band, making the arrangements, figuring out the, the artwork for your show and your name is on it. it it's exciting. It's a lot. It's exhausting. It's a lot. Yeah. And so the, the musical theater, you know, actor, student in me was just like, I just want to be hired, walk in a room, be told what to do by a director. <laughs> Have a have a collaborative experience. We're interacting with other human beings, not just myself, and then go home. Um, and so, right before, um, literally right before <laughs> the pandemic, um, I had the privilege of doing a pr- production of Funny Girl um, with the great Stephen Meir as um, director choreographer and this big West End, you know, cast, and then me, and we did it in Paris. I bring this up not to brag because I will talk about it forever because it was the best experience of my life. You're bringing up all the things I have questions about, so we we will. Oh, see, I'm I'm doing good, but um, but but the thing is, it was so important for me at that point to be a part of a family and to be a part of a full production like that. That it was this, this nice breath of fresh air for me and so when I came home and they were everybody sort of was like okay get in front of your computer or your phone and now start doing content it's very important you put stuff out I was like but but I just stopped doing this like I I, I actually was so hesitant I was burned out by it and having coming off a beautiful production that was so wonderful and and um collaborative and um I just you know the, the real thing is interacting with other people and so I was just very hesitant to do stuff. It took me a while to get the ball rolling and say, okay, I'm going to, I will sing in this person's concert. I will film a performance for this charity, you know, benefit. And then I finally said, okay, after a couple of months, I was like, I can do my own live stream concerts. I can, I can have fun doing this and put some content out there to, you know, keep the people who are so kind to still be following me as fans, you know, to keep them entertained and also maybe get some new people. And if, had I not done all of that, I, again, wouldn't have had all the tools and gear to do something like Anna and Mary. But that's another reason why Anna and Mary was so great, even though we were obviously apart and I did this completely by myself. 
you didn't feel like you were by yourself because Lawrence and Lindsay were always so clear about what they wanted, always so collaborative. Like I said, you know, I would say, hey, is it possible to get Suze's take on that? And they'd send that over to me. Uh, and so even though we were separated, it was really, it felt like a family affair. So it was perfect timing as well, because again, just when you're sort of like, is this ever going to end? When am I going to do what I love and interact with people? And so I still got to collaborate on a big musical, but just from home. So I talk for a very long time. I'm sorry, Mike. I love it. No, you're fine. Till I drink. <laughs> my, my Moira Rose mug. What does it say? Oh, oh. you say I haven't watched It's Creek Oh, yet. I can't. But if I'm allowed to say the word, it says, never let the bastards get you down. So... <laughs> Not that you are a, a bastard, you are not. It was not symbolic of you today. It was just the mug that I chose. I understand. I understand. <laughs> I just want to take a minute to tell you about this new business, which I think is such a good idea. Now that we all have to use e-tickets to go to the theatre, I'm sure some of you are missing having proper, tangible tickets in your hand that you can keep as a souvenir for when you see a show. But the lovely Rebecca on Instagram has found a way for you to be able to have your ticket for the shows that you've seen or are going to see. Stagey Tickets creates souvenir theatre tickets that are custom made for your show, the venue, the date you saw it on and the seat that you sat in. They're great as a gift or just for you to keep for yourself. The tickets are £5 each, but the more you buy, the more you save. So currently you can get three tickets for £3.50 each or eight tickets for just £3 each. If that sounds like something you'd be interested in, just head to at Stagey Tickets on Instagram to have a look at the designs and to order your own tickets, just send a direct message. Listening to actor Anna Mary today, I was really, it really sound. Have you ever seen the episode of Frasier where they do an audio play? Yes. It, it, oh, yeah, of yeah. course. <laughs> I love that one. I love it. You it, know, Frasier, because you seem like you're five years oh, old. So well done. Oh, I'm 30, but thank you so much. <laughs> you um, look very young. Thank you. Um, I love Frasier. Um, but uh, yeah, that episode when, when they're all standing in the line doing, and, and it, obviously it's a farce, but um, yeah. That that's how it sounded. I was thinking that's how I was visualizing it in my head. But because you know there are some of those moments when you're when someone is in your prison cell with you, and there are chain sound effects, and yeah. it's so it, it's crazy how like how intricate they've made it sound when yeah. you are literally on different sides of an ocean. <laughs> and it's it, I think for me, like I said, because in America we really don't do the whole audio story, I have to say, uh, situation. <laughs> we don't do it. When I was listening to it, because they, they, they thankfully they sent us at least the first episode ahead of time. So we got to at least know <laughs> what it sounded like all put together. And I was just overwhelmed. It's so immersive. It's you're absolutely inside the story. When you're watching a movie, you're watching it, watching a play, you're watching it. When you listen to something, you get to, obviously it's exciting because you have your own visuals. But it's not just a textual description. This time they're giving you sound effects. You hear the rain, the you know, the, the, the splash of the, the boot as it hits the puddle. I mean, all that stuff. It's so nuanced and that you really just feel like you are inside that story. And that's, that's a gift, the fact that they can even do that. I couldn't even think of all those sound effects. I can do many things, but I would not take that job. So. <laughs> Me neither. I was, I was genuinely walking around going, how are they doing this? Like, even down to, to the echo, depending on where the scene yeah. was set. I was like, I, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, in fact, that's exactly right. Because one of the first, I think the first thing you hear me doing is singing from a distance. Mm, and yes, I didn't exactly. know it was me. I was like, oh, that, 
I did that. Oh, that was me. Like, I, because the way it was done and processed in the echo, I was like, but I didn't do it in the background. No, I did it right here in the mic. But they, they're so skilled. Um, like I said, Lindsay is an incredible writer. She has such a great grasp on how to make something dramatic and comedic at the same time, very much like real life. You know, I love the term dramedy because I feel like mostly everything is a dramedy. You know, it's always got some, you want something with some sincere moments and you want something that's going to, to make you laugh. Lindsay has this great balance of writing drama, action and comedy equally well. And Lawrence does that musically. And it's, it's no small feat to combine it. I mean, her skills don't have to balance out his so well. They don't have to match so well, and they really do. And, um, you know, th- there are lots of different moments in this, sh- in this show. It is a show. It's a musical. And, um, you know, some of them are, are full choral numbers that are like something of us you'd hear in, in Les Mis or a Sondheim musical. Um, and then some are really intimate and small and you could almost imagine it being like on a Kate Bush album, you know? So it's, it's really incredible how they've been able to balance all of these characters and all of these, um, colors, uh, together. And they, they, they do. And so when we keep, when we're reading the scripts, I was like, this all makes perfect sense to me. Like, there were no questions. There was no, and they would say things like, well, you know, if it doesn't roll off the tongue, then please feel free to give us another take that makes more sense to you. And pretty much every, every single word, I was like, this all makes perfect sense. It's easy to say. It matches the character. They have a very clear vision of what they were creating, the world they were creating and what they wanted from us. And uh, thankfully, because they were, and I'm so honored that they thought of me because you don't think fearsome Irish pirate when you think of four foot 11, <laughs> New York, <laughs> Italian Christina. Um, but that's what the great thing about casting is he just went, no, no, you are, you are, we need someone who's very feisty. We need someone with a, a kind of like a pop belt. And, and I, I want, I want to have your, I think he was saying like, you know, he knows I'm sassy <laughs> and he was like, I need your sass. I need your, your, your sarcasm and your quick, um, your quick speech and quick t- temper. And I was like, okay, well that's, that's me then. So it's great because, because it was so clear then I was not worried at all about stepping into these pirate boots. <laughs> it was so nice as well. Cause obviously we all know you from your impressions videos, but it was so nice, especially in, in cut and run, which is like the biggest song I've heard so far to hear that gorgeous clean belt you have, but also the way that they've written it, how you have to switch from a belt line and then immediately out of it, it, it was kind of like, oh, it caught me. It caught me off guard a little bit because yeah, it was it caught switching. you off guard. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I heard the demo, I was like, um, are you sure about this? You know? <laughs> and you know, it's funny because, again, like I said, when, when I said it earlier, it's like when you hear a song like that, you're like, oh, how do I navigate this? But oh, I really want to navigate this, you know. And it's I love doing impressions, but of course, I've been singing in my own voice much longer than I've ever been doing impressions. And it, you know, if I have to choose, obviously, my own voice is what I love to do. So to get to play a character. You know, it was, again, it wasn't, I'm not doing an impression of somebody, it's my own voice, but how would this person sing this? And even within this one song, there were so many different styles and colors and vocal flips. Um, And it was uh, one of the first things I said, if I can get this song, then I think I've got all of Anne, you know, like all of her different Mm. colors, even though it was early in her journey, it shows all of her sides in the one song. So again, to write that as an establishing piece made made it easy for me but yeah vocally uh i'm not gonna tell you how many times i was trying to figure out how to flip it and how to sing it and where to make it sound a little more musical theater where to make it sound a little more pop and lauren's always the, the only note i would get is sometimes that i was a little too disney <laughs> 
I tend to get into okay. Mike and be like, I must sing perfectly. And he's like, no, you don't need to be that perfect. But I, I, I tend to go like Disney princess zone without trying. I don't know. Um, so that was the one thing I kept fighting against. I didn't I get, I didn't, I didn't think Disney princess at all. So, but this, think, so thank you. That's because he told me not to. And I took the notes. So it was all right. Well done, <laughs> but yeah, well there done. were some takes of the song where I might've been a little bit too, too Ariel, lovely, as, um, too Ariel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the, the other thing that I really loved about the first episode, the fact that we have this really queer moment that's just completely unapologetic quite early on with with Mary and this guy mm-hmm. who's like, are you a boy? Are you a girl? But I yeah. want you anyway. The story is so, again, this classic story is true. I mean, of course, there were lots of things about this, about their, their lives that we don't know about. Lots of things about all the pirates' lives that we don't know about because it was so long ago and it's all passed down stories. You don't know what was embellished or what was left out, like any history. But um, the, the, the few facts we do know is that Anne... Bonnie and Mary Reed were both raised as boys for a lot of their life to have opportunities and to get out and to provide for themselves um, and to not be stepped on and taken advantage of as a small woman. And I think that that is obviously something we all can relate to today. And we can also all relate to today, you know, the fact that it's not always uh, uh, it's not always clear, you know, what someone's um, what would say choices are when it comes to how to go about their life. You know, Anne knew what she wanted at first and it changed. So Anne was like, I'm going to find myself a man. I'm going to get married. He's going to get me out of here. And at that point, that made sense. That was sort of the appropriate, you know, appropriate mindset. And then she very quickly went, I don't actually really like this guy. I don't respect this guy. Well, I guess I'll just leave him. Well, that's, first of all, very, very a strong choice. And then, you know, I think I'm going to leave him and I'm going to go be a pirate. And while I'm on that pirate ship, I'm going to, without planning it at all, fall in love with a woman. (laughs) I mean, it's just, you don't know where life is going to take you. And I love that this story um, shows that. And then, of course, with with Mary's plot line, she was, again, a a woman dressed as a man um, in, you know, a soldier uh, who became best friends um, with Mark, Mark Reed. Excuse me, not Mark Reed. Um, Yes, yes, Mark Reed. And um, absolutely fell in love and had this incredible, incredible romance with, I'm sorry, I think she took his name, yeah, with Mark Reed. And then when he very sadly passed away, went about her life and just very naturally fell in love with Anne. So it's very, it's, it's interesting to show that it's not just one way. It's not like, oh, I'm, I'm straight, I'm queer, I'm this. It's, it's, it just shows how um, people are not, I said black and white, even that expression sounds wrong these days, but you know, there, there's so much, there's so much gray area. And you can't just, yes, well, now it is. And you can't just <sighs> label because those two women were impossible to label in so many ways. And some people thought they were really brave and some people thought that they were awful. And, and we don't know if the stories are true because what, you know, the, there's, it's said a lot in the script that, um, oh, it's said that she, you know, stabbed this person. It's said that she burned down her father's plantation. We don't know these things. They could be true. They could not be true. But it's, it's particularly for women, it, they were so quick to try to tear them down if they did anything that was sort of not the, the the acceptable proper way and these two women went out of their way 
to never be what was expected. And so that's fun to act, it's fun to read, and it's fun to represent um, these these women who refuse to be a stereotype. Absolutely. Um, I know we touched on Cut and Run um, there. <laughs> that's such a great I want, and like in a traditional theatre sense, I guess that's the I want song for Anne. Mm-hmm. I, Lord knows, I love an I want song. Like they're always my favourite. Do you relate to an I want song more than an 11 o'clock number? Well, I, I love an I want song. I do. Um, I think it's great to stand there and do it. I call it the, um, the more indulgent 11 o'clock number. The sort of, you know, it's usually like a culmination of, of everything or just uh, very often it's saying the same sentiment, but four different ways. I think it goes with the fact that if a song is a list, it's harder to memorize, right? Because it doesn't tell you a story. So I love the story within a song. Um, And I'm going to go back to Funny Girl because I am. Because my favorite part of the show was singing the song, um, I'm the Greatest Star. It's a very long song. It's a very quirky song. And even though she's saying, I'm the Greatest Star, it's an I Want song. I mean, she's saying, I can do this. You need to look at me. You need to take me seriously. I want you to, to do this. I want you to see me as the Greatest Star. So even though it was a statement... It, it like cut and run. She's going to do this. She's manifesting it. So both of those songs are manifesting songs. Um, and so I, I love doing that every night. I don't know. It gives you, it gives you so much to work with because as opposed, not that every 11 o'clock number is like this, but as opposed to having sort of the one fo- focused goal or the one focused conclusion in an I want song, you almost always are exploring the, the different things that could happen or, or the different sides of what you're about to um, encounter. And so I really like that about it. I don't know. I'm, I'm a traditional musical theater gal. I like a story song like that. You were doing Funny Girl in Paris from November 2019 until March 2020, the infamous March 2020. March 2020, yeah. Did you, did you manage to actually finish? Because you were due to finish on like the 7th of March. Did you manage to finish yeah. the run before? Yeah, everything? we did. Um, yeah, we got there... We got there the end of October to do, um, you know, tech and rehearsals and to move, to move to Paris, of course. You know, I was moving to Paris. It's so Carrie Bradshaw. I remember kept saying, oh my God, oh my God, absolutely, except without the crazy outfits. Um, but I, I can't tell you how great it was when we found out our show was extended. Um, that was like about December we found out mm-hmm. the show was extended. Um and we were, we were so grateful. And uh, the show was such a hit, they wanted to push it forward even more. So once the second wave of tickets went on sale and were pretty much sold out very quickly, they wanted to extend it even more. And it was like this big thing where the theater was like, we can't even push the next show because we've rented the space to another group. Like we can't, if it was our own show, maybe we could push it, but we, we can't. You have to be out on March 7th. And at the time we were all like, oh, would have been so great to stay longer and do all that um yeah march 7th was our closing date and we were just hearing i mean for about a month prior we had heard about coronavirus and then in fact we thought that we're pretty certain now one of our cast members had it it was the most horrifying thing in the universe uh to see your well we didn't really see him he was locked up in a room for over a week um but nothing was working to make him better and uh, it was very it, it was very difficult for us to watch. And we kept making jokes, of course. Like, oh, you probably have that coronavirus thing. Looking back on it now, yeah, he, he pretty much did. And finding out that a lot of the cast had antibodies after that, it was like, okay, yeah, he probably had that. Um, but other than that, it wasn't too 
too much in our daily life. I mean, when you're doing eight shows a week, you're, I had a million people coming to see the show. We were all very distracted. That's a good way to say it. And when we, when we closed on the 7th, that was almost the first day when people in, um, I think it was a Saturday, Saturday or Sunday, people in the press were saying how I think we're going to lock down certain museums and stuff starting Monday in Paris or lock down certain things. And we were like, oh, okay, this is, this is a big deal and better get home. And some countries are talking about locking down a little bit. I flew home on the 9th. To the U.S.? To the U.S. I flew home to New York on the 9th with um, not even all of my luggage. I had been, this is so stupid, I had been uh, doing my uh, Edinburgh run and my U.K. tour right before starting Funny Girl rehearsals and everything. In fact, I was finishing my tour while I was doing it and going back and forth from Paris. It was crazy. Wow. I know, like when it rains, it pours. Sometimes Give you're totally unemployed and sometimes you have four jobs at once. But I had, as you can imagine, a lot of uh, luggage, a lot of life accumulated. And I was supposed to be back in the UK shortly thereafter, like in May uh, of um, 2020. So I left a lot of stuff with my friends in the UK who came to the show. I was like, okay, take this suitcase back <laughs> with you home. And, you know, we, we did a little, a little swap of... Um, you know, goods, like I'll give you tickets if you take my suitcase home with you. All that stuff was very, very cute and very well, you know, intended at the time. But I flew home on March 9th with about half my luggage and just didn't know, like everybody, how it was going to play out. And very quickly, I think it was March 12th, Mm. when New York announced, oh, Paris announced full lockdown and New York a couple days later. So I had not even been home a week when everything shut. And New York in particular, I, th- I think you may know from reading, we're always a hotbed or so many people are close together. And we knew that we would have the biggest numbers right off the bat, no matter what we did. And I'm very grateful to how it, it was handled here in New York City, because although it was terrible that everything was locked down so completely and so quickly, we're um, nationally, our numbers ended up being better than a lot of other states. So we, it was hard, but we did it. Um, you know, as to the best we could, <laughs> because we did it when there was so much tragic loss, but we did the best we could, I think. And it was so difficult and shocking for me to be like, but well, I guess I'll go back in to the UK in like, you know, June or July, or it'll be done by August. And then I had to have that moment where it was like, you're not going anywhere. All of your gigs are definitely canceled for probably the year. Um, all of your work, you know, that, and on, I had to get my, you know, suitcases shipped <laughs> back home because I wasn't, wasn't going to have the winter clothing that I needed or the whatever. It was crazy. So um, it was a lot of, you know, what everybody was, was shocked and everybody, everybody's life stopped and was, uh, people had to pivot, as we say, and do other things to make money and, and um, live the lives the way they know it. For me, and I've been talking a very long time, for me, it, it was, I say 50-50, I was well-equipped for this pause because I had been hustle, 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 and I've been away from home for so long that the idea of being stuck, quote-unquote, in my little studio apartment with my husband and my dog was a much-needed, like, really? Like, I don't have to, I could actually binge-watch a show and, like, cook dinner and do all this stuff, like, stuff I don't usually... Um, get to do, I was like, I'm going to appreciate this. But the other part of it was I had just come from absolutely 100% the greatest, um, you know, professional performance experience of my life. I was literally completely disgustingly like 
lauded over and everybody was so lovely in Paris, you know, on, on TV programs and in magazines and flowers at the stage. Door. Yes, thank you very much. Rave review. And it, stuff like that that, you know, you, you know doesn't happen very frequently. And even if it does, it's not always with people or a show that you love. And here, it was just a love fest. Everybody got on so well, and we didn't want it to end. And so I'm coming from that incredible experience where it's like, busy, 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 the best performance of my life, like literally singing every great song <laughs> ever written by Julie Stein, like to three sold-out balconies, eight shows a week. Like, you're just like, this is the greatest thing ever, to nothing. Whiplash. Nothing at all. Yeah. And and also, you know, when you when you... And any show, you have that that sort of mourning of the, the, you mourn the loss of the show because even if you ever do that show again, it'll never be that company in that place at that time, and you formed a family unit. And usually, it's really hard until you move on to another project and you form a new family and you have a new love. But none of us have had that, so I always say, "Funny Girl" is still so it's like an open wound still. It's still right there. So I'm like, "Talk about Funny Girl, yeah, tell you all about it," and then you get this for twenty minutes, but. It, again, it's you have to just be so grateful that it happened. And I'm so grateful that I had a wonderful experience and um, those incredible memories. And um, and at least you got to do your, your last show. At least you weren't closed by the pandemic. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? I mean, if we had, if we had tried to run the next week, they would have stopped us. So just we ended the last show we probably could have ever done. Unbelievable. So lucky. And I know so many friends who didn't do that. I know some friends in Broadway shows that were officially closed sometime during the pandemic. They're like, oh, we're not going to come back because we can't open Beetlejuice. We can't open Frozen. And I just don't know. I can't even imagine what that's like for them to not know that they had done their last show and taken their last bow. So I, I do not... I do not take for granted how lucky and fortunate we were that we got to complete that show and with such a with such great fanfare. Yeah. Do you do you because because you you sort of got that closure and I suppose you've had the last <laughs> 13 14 months to reflect on that one job. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you have it imprinted in your memory the last time you sang I'm the greatest star or the last time you sang Don't Run on My Parade or the last curtain call like can you visualize being yeah, in that I moment? Yeah, I can. I can. Um, since since then, I've been lucky to get out in front of some audiences, social distance, typically outside, and sing some of those songs again. But it's obviously nothing compared to having the orchestra and the costume and the lights and singing it uh, in that show. The, the last show, I only will say this because it's honest. I let myself down a bit because I was so emotional the last show that I didn't perform the whole show to the best of my ability. I was about on the brink of tears at every single moment that I sang. And I was like, get it together. Now, other people will tell you that I was fine and I sang it all fine and whatever. But I, I was so, yeah, it was a two show day. So we had just done a show and totally cried in between and exchanged gifts. It was just a lot. And so by the time we had that, that second show and I realized this was it, I remember hearing that like I have to just walk out grand and lovely. And I was just like (laughs) backstage. So my memories of the last show were so overwhelming. And I remember so much of it was you be in the moment of this actor in this role right now. Do not be in Christina's moment right now. This is not a sad moment for Fanny Bryce. She's excited here, so don't cry. So that that's the very last memory I had. So I, I remember it very clearly. But I do, when I think back on it, I typically remember the, the correct <laughs> feeling for being in the show at those times. And yeah, it's, I think I, 
again, I think, you know, sometimes when you do a show and you move on to something else, you can... So, oh, yeah, I remember that choreography. I think I can do the, the entire show right now, as was. It's, it's still very fresh. And um, one, of my, the, one of the coolest moments of my life will always be, always be, the end of Act One of Funny Girl singing Don't Rain in My Parade, which is, it's funny. She's saying don't, but it's absolutely an I want song. I'm going after this. I'm going to get what I want. I know how. I mean, it's literally in the lyrics. And it's, you start, at least the way it was directed for us, and I think the way it was originally done, is it starts with a lot of people on stage, and she's talking to them, and she's she's saying, no, 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 don't tell me not to do this. I'm but at some point, they all go, this girl's going to do her own thing, and they leave. So, so much of the show is Fanny Bryce on stage, but that moment, the end of Act One singing pop, probably the most iconic song in the show other than people and the, the big one, you know, with the blaring horns and everything. To end that song every night on stage by myself and the way that Stephen Mears so fabulously and dramatically did it was that I finished the last note, I throw my arms down, I'm in silhouette, and I stand there center stage as the curtain falls slowly, 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 slowly. Oh, so wow. it wasn't like I hit the last note and ran off stage or hit the last note as the curtain fell. I, I got to stand there like a complete diva and just listen to applause and be like, look how cool this is. Be grateful. So every night it was that, every, not even two show days, like in eight shows a week, I just knew even if I was feeling tired or, oh, I didn't hit that note the way I wanted to, it didn't matter. And that's that moment where you're like, oh my God. Who gets to do this? And very few people get to do it on a scale like that with the response like that. So that's the feeling that I have. Just I'll never let that go. It was the greatest gift. I'm so grateful for that honor. Obviously, Broadway is Broadway. The West End is the West End. Getting to do a show like that in Paris, was that something <laughs> you'd like aimed for in life? Or was it like, oh, Paris, sure. Yeah, it was the it was oh Paris, sure. Who genuinely is like yes? When I think of Paris, I think of their fabulous musical theater. No, and that's what um what the wonderful artistic director of the Theatre Marigny, Jean Duc Chaplin. That's what he's done, and he did that at the Châtelet in Paris before he did it at the Marigny. Um, and so that's his vision, and he said there's no reason with our great proximity to London's West End and even, you know, flying across the ocean to New York. There's no reason we can't have a bit of that West End and Broadway in Paris. But I was unaware of that. I was unaware of what he was doing, really. I'd heard of his name in uh, when it was because of uh, American in Paris, which was sort of his brainchild. He made it happen, that gorgeous production. Um, and so I, that's where I'd heard his name. But I certainly didn't know anything about, you know, musical theater in Paris to that scale until I saw that uh, Stephen Muir, who I've uh, known and auditioned for and had not worked with, just he'd come to see me many times in my concerts and I'd been called into audition for him and luckily it always went well. I did never get the part, but it went well. Um, and so, you know, you follow him on Twitter and you chat like that. I was only aware of it because of his social media posts that I'm in Paris doing, I think he did Guys and Dolls prior to that and he had done... Um, uh, I think 42nd Street at the Chatelet. Mm -hmm. So I, I remember reading that stuff, but I never thought, oh yes, one day it'll be me. And certainly not playing Fanny Bryce and Funny Girl. So uh, it was it was crazy. And I think for a lot of the cast, of course, I, I'm going to speak for them, but I think for a lot of the, the cast, 
they had maybe never been to Paris or if they had with their families or something, you know, so it was a big deal for them to, to have that experience. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think it was cooler for me just because in England you can drive to other countries who speak other languages and have other cuisines and other cultures. We don't do that in America. It, you know, it's, it's unheard of to have that, um, proximity to something so different. You know, I can fly six hours across my country and land in California where everything is pretty much the same except it's warmer. But you, you know, then I can fly six hours across an ocean and get to a different country. So so the fact that I could just hop on a Eurostar yeah. <laughs> and be in a totally different place, to me, I was still like, <gasps> like looking at it, in, I think just like a little kid, like through crazy rose-colored glasses, I think even more than the rest of the cast, just because I was like the, 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 the sole American. <laughs> the American in Paris. It was you. <laughs> truly, truly the American in Paris. Yeah, it was great. Had you been and to I Paris could, before you did the show? I'd only been to Paris twice and both very briefly. One was um, when I finished doing Forbidden Broadway uh, in the West End. Um, my husband had come over and I had been, it's so funny, I was booked to perform on a TV show filming in Amsterdam. And it was like a week after um, <clears throat> Forbidden Broadway would have ended. I said, well, why don't we do a few days in Paris and then continue the train and take it to Amsterdam. So we had a few days in Paris, a few days in Amsterdam. But it was so cold. And I was so tired having just finished that run. And my husband and I, we knew we were both getting sick. So our memories of Paris then was beautiful, but not like strolling the Seine with Rosé, you know, eating a baguette. It was like <laughs> running around and you tired, you tired. Well, we should see that tomorrow. Like it was a lot of frustration that we kind of couldn't do what we wanted to do. Yeah. Which now, of course, I've done all of. Um, and then the next time I was there, it was for a voiceover job. Uh, it, was, it was lovely. I was flown into Paris, but it was on the outskirts. Uh, it was in central Paris. So in any downtime I had, I would take the metro to see whatever I could and come back. So like, I've never really had a luxurious, lengthy, sunshiny vacation in Paris. I still haven't had a sunshiny one because it was cold the entire time oh, I was yeah. there. Oh, yeah, it probably got sunny just after you left. Yeah, it did. But, but again, for everybody, nobody could enjoy it, you know. Um, but it, it was just a great gift to have that uh, extended time there. But I will tell you, kids out there, musical theater performers, don't do what I did. I am very lucky. I kind of have a very strong constitution, very good health, kind of cords of steel. And so I was like, I can run around and see everybody from America that comes to see the show and everybody from the UK and having mom, someone's agent came to see the show and they'd like to have a drink. Of course, I'll do that. And then I'll wake up in the morning and then I'll do press and then I'll do another thing, another interview and a photo shoot right before the two show day. And then I'll, and I did this for four months. And I was a broken woman by the end because I was also doing the show with full energy and full adrenaline. And oh. when I look back on what I did, I'm like, you're an idiot. <laughs> I should have behaved a little better. I should have been a little more focused. It didn't like, I know you're going to say, but if, if it didn't affect your job, clearly the show was all received. I did the whole run, never took a show off, got good reviews. It doesn't matter. I know that I would have been better and more grounded and not, um, absolutely overtired and exhausted and probably it's one of the reasons I was such a, an emotional wreck <laughs> for those that last week and those last performances I just I pushed myself a little too hard because I was so excited 
I wanted to see all of Paris. I wanted to make the most of the opportunity because I thought, when is this ever going to happen again? But I think had I just taken better care of myself, I would have been a little more grounded and I would have performed even better. And I just, I think I was maybe a little irresponsible. Hindsight's a wonderful thing because you might, if you'd done it that way, you might've got home and gone, oh, I wish I just had a bit more fun. Yeah, exactly. You could argue either way. Exactly. But yeah, if you were following me on Instagram and people were like, boy, she is really out and about after her show. Yeah, kids, typically not what you do. So don't. (laughs) (laughs) Typically you go home home. and you have your tea. (laughs) You don't go to a late night jazz bar. (laughs) But you're in Paris. For your tea show day. I know. It was a perfect excuse for everything. (laughs) It's literally the perfect excuse. And it's the only city that works for. Yeah. Well, I would do it in London because that's how I see London. But now that I've lived there long enough, even now, because I've lived there so many times in short bursts, Mm. but, you know, like five months with Forbidden Broadway or doing various events, being there for a couple of months at a time. um, I always feel like I have to run around and see everything because I still haven't seen all of London that I want to see. And there are always friends and people I want to get together with. And the past couple of times I went and I came home, I was like, I did, I did a vacation like Jeez. crazy. So so the good news is, is that, and it's, it's not really a secret because I keep saying it, but I'm going to be spending a lot of time in the UK um, in 2022. I have a, a, a big tour um, that I can't say what it is yet. It's, a, it's an actual piece of theater. It's not my own concert that I'll be Ooh. doing for about four or five months. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm going to be settling in the UK for a while after that. So it's going to be nice to finally be there and not have to run around and just know that I have lots of time to explore all the beauty of England and Scotland and you know wherever else I want to go because it's a train ride away, which is another luxury we don't have here in the state. So I intend to make the most of it, but in a very responsible manner. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, are any of your suitcases still here or did you get them all back? I got them all back. That's not true. I left, I left, um, I call it the, um, the gift, the gift bag. It's a suitcase filled with lovely um, gifts and um, memories from my tour, from Edinburgh, but obviously mostly from Funny Girl. Uh, People were so kind and gave me so many lovely things, even big banners with my face on them. I mean, it got really crazy over there. Um, And uh, some of that stuff, it's like, well, if I'm going to stay, if I'm going to be back abroad, I kind of, you know, I'll want that. And so shipping it all back and forth seemed crazy. So my... My, my gift box of lovely memories and the newspapers and the magazines that I was in and all that, that's still at my friend's house in the UK. She's very sweet to watch it. <laughs> oh, that's waiting. That's nice that it's waiting for you when you come back. Yeah, a nice, a nice uh, suitcase of memories. Absolutely. Um, before we move on from Funny Girl, is, is there any chance that, that we will get to see your Fanny Bryce again somewhere in the world? Be that London, New York, any chance? Uh the answer is I hope so. Um, I, when everything was, you know, put, being put on hold, plans to push Funny Girl forward were put on hold. And I know that it's been very hard for the, the team to figure out how to navigate it moving forward. And honestly, at some point, I stopped my age and everybody, we kind of stopped asking because nobody knew what to do. So although I know that there were grand 
designs, <laughs> as they say, to push the show forward in different markets. Um, I don't honestly know personally where that is now. And I'm sure that it's also no secret that there's another, obviously, um, Sonia Friedman's production also wants to continue to do the show. Um, so I know that there's a bit of a you know, battle, I think, between productions. So that's a little bit tough because it's hard to imagine after a pandemic, um, our little company, the little engine that could kind of, you know, coming in and sweeping up the, uh, the, the rights for the show over a fabulous, massive, um, you know, production house team like Sonia Friedman has. Um, so instead of worrying about it, I just say, if it happens, I'll be pleasantly surprised. I would do it anywhere. I mean, I know people want to do me to do it in Australia. So I'm like, Stephen, let's go. So we'll see. Just because we don't get, if we don't get the opportunity in somewhere, maybe we'll get it somewhere else, like you said. But until then, I just, I have to do what any actor does. And you just have to forget about it. Because there were so many months where I was waiting to hear and waiting to hear. And it was killing me. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then knowing, then everything stops. So the, the healthy thing to do is to just sort of say, I had a great experience. And if it comes back, I get to be pleasantly surprised. So that's where I am now. Fingers crossed. Yeah, thank you. And thank it, you for I answering still... that so eloquently, because I know so many people would have just gone, oh, I can't talk about it. Oh, no. Well, it's no secret when you see things in trade magazines and all that, you know, I'm not saying anything that people can't look up themselves. <laughs> for and sure, for sure. It's, it's like, any, like with, with, with pre-existing pieces like that, you need to, and if you want to do them on a grand scale like West End or Broadway or, or, or you know even nationally somewhere you have to get the the option and the rights to do it there so if there is a, a, if there are more than one interested party you know it's always going to be something that's uh, that's tricky but I know that our production was very well received and we we definitely had a shot so I don't know where that is now though well fingers crossed yeah hard um. on here <laughs> Uh, I know that you, you, you've, you've touched on this before. Um, we know you were born and raised in New York, um, but you spent a lot of time here because I actually thought you were based here. I didn't realize that you were living in New oh, York I love that. because you spent so much time here. I was just like, oh, she lives in London now, surely. Um, when did I you first come here? I should have moved earlier. <laughs> I should, really should have moved a few years ago. But, you know, when this when you have a life here and your family's here, it's hard to be like, hey, honey, quit your job and uproot and let's go to the UK. You know, so it's hard. Um, but I started coming, well, I think it was 2000, was it 13 or 14? I, I'm going to say 13, but you don't, you know, you could check that. You I won't hold you to it, that's fine. Um, what happened was I had a, a bunch of YouTube videos. This is not before, this is not the big viral one. I had a bunch of YouTube videos that were popular, apparently, mm. with um, West End casts and um, musical theater uh, program students, students in college and university, and that my videos were getting shared and my my um, tracks on the Forbidden Broadway um, Ghost to Rehab cast album impersonating Bernadette Peters and Kristen Chenoweth, and apparently I was being talked about. I know this because a bunch of mutual friends uh, had said, oh, my friends in the UK were just sharing your video, or somebody tagged, some West End performer tagged me in a tweet, like this is before I even had Twitter, and said something like, oh, Christina Bianco's brilliant. We're all cracking up to her backstage. Watch her watch her number. I watch her video. So um, this got the attention of a friend of mine, now a, a dear friend, um, Ian Stroyer, a.k.a. Velma Celli. And uh, he was uh, doing a residency at the Hippodrome at the time. Mm. And uh, he said she should come over 
And if she if she ever comes over for any reason, that she should play because I she would really fill this place. And I was like, you've got to be. He approached me like via email or Facebook or something. And I was like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, there's no way I'm going to fill the Hippodrome and nobody knows who I am. I don't have a big, massive Broadway credit. He's like, people know who you are and they really love what you're doing. And I think I'd see from, he looked on YouTube and looked at my stuff, saw that I had a, a concert. He goes, bring that show over here. So he, they booked me for a show. I was like, well, great. It's a great excuse for me to come to London and plan a little trip. And while those tickets were on sale, my Total Eclipse of the Heart video went crazy viral on YouTube. And I could talk to you about this forever, but I won't because I've said it in a million interviews, but that is not a video or a moment, sorry for the construction over here, that I thought would ever get airplay, would ever go viral. It was a sloppy, the first time I was trying something just for fun at a nightclub. Like it Wait, was that, was the first, performance. that was the first time you did it? The one oh, that's yeah. had like the most, like millions oh, and millions of views? yeah, yeah. Was that's it 54 Below? Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't my show or anything. I was just up at someone's open mic trying something for the first time. It was the first time I ever tried Adele, ever. It was the first time I tried that song. And I gave um, the, the woman running it, my friend Susie, who said, oh, yeah, come up and sing something. Um, it was, I thought it was a very safe place to try something new. You know, they were rowdy. It was midnight. Who cared? Um, and uh, I gave Susie a couple of names to shout out at certain points. But basically what I was doing was... Um, low like for the for, for this verse you could choose from these five people the higher part of the song choose from these people because as i always say you can't shout out julie andrews at the lowest part of the song and share at the highest part of the song so it was it was very um improvised but it was also a little bit structured that's important to know moving forward for something sure. like ellen when they just shout out names and i'm like that does not fit that part of the song can happen uh, <laughs> yeah and there's so, the, uh, the Kristen moment obviously when you have to jump from the belt to the the head voice bingo. that can only happen at that one moment bingo 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 so anyway but it was sloppy anyway the video went viral and even i was like it's not even a good example of my work didn't matter everyone went crazy and my tickets for the hippodrome show sold out so they added a show. Or I think they had two on sale just to see which one was selling more, and they both sold out. So all of a sudden, I'd never been to, Lon been to London except once in my life for like a little quick trip. And um, I had sold out two shows at the Hippodrome. They ended up like telling the person who was booked next that they had to <laughs> have their shows moved. And they, I sold out two more shows. Wow. So that was it. And I and then they said, well, we need fabulous guests for you. And they got uh, Carrie Ellis and Anna Jane Casey cut to, a, a, you know, a year later, I'm working with Anna Jane Casey in Forbidden Broadway. And, and not long after that was doing a, one of my first concerts, uh, you know, group concerts with Carrie Ellis. Um, so it was it was crazy. So to show up to a place you'd never been before and have the Hippodrome just screaming and chanting and so enthusiastic. And Ian helped me put it together. Obviously, he knew the musicians. He said, I have this great uh, young um, music director and arranger. He's so good. Um, he'll play your charts beautifully, but in future, you can work with him. Well, cut to my one of my go-to friends and music directors and arrangers, Joe Louis Robinson. So if it wasn't for Ian just having a little hunch that I might do well, nothing ever would have happened. So I always say I owe it all to, to Ian Stroyer. <laughs> oh, that's so nice. Um, oh, great. It's really hard because every time I was listening to your live album earlier, um, and every time, especially with to Total Eclipse of the Heart, every time you do another impression, I'm like, no, this is my favorite. No, this is my favorite. Oh, it, thank you. But I, I think that the two that I do love the most are Patty and Bernadette, just because... 
No one ever says my patty. That's nice. Really? Thank you. I love your patty. Well, because my patty is very, like some, some impressions I try to keep very accurate and some are funnier if they're just a little more exaggerated, just slightly more heightened. And uh, there are a few people out there that do such brilliant patty lapones. Um, one of them is uh, um, Jonathan Hoover, the inappropriate patty. I yeah. mean, to me, that is the greatest Patty Lapone impression there is. Um, so it's just it's just funny. I love. Thank you for saying that. But yeah, it's funny because they didn't let me let me age wise, height wise. I never was allowed to do Patty Lapone or Liza Minnelli in Forbidden Broadway. So when I started doing my own shows, those were the two impressions I was so nervous about because I had never done them in public. And part of me thought, well, maybe I shouldn't do them. And now, of course, they're two that everybody loves and everybody requests all the time. Um, but so, yeah, it's funny. And and for Bernadette Peters, I have been <laughs> inadvertently doing Bernadette since I was born. I want to be her. I Bernadette has always been it's uncanny the one for me and uh yeah so it's done with so much respect and love which is also so funny because the first thing anyone ever heard me do is bernadette is that very biting song that uh that um gerard alessandrini uh who writes forbidden broadway wrote parody lyrics to to, um tell me on a sunday and he called it see me on a monday meaning like her voice wasn't really good except for the top of the week awful and uh, typically that show is such a love letter and very few are kind of that you know digging like catty yeah yeah and but it was it was something that had been done years ago when song and dance was on in forbidden broadway and uh, it was never recorded so when they knew i did a good bernadette they said let's do a little throwback and put it on the album so then to be known for doing that i'm always like i didn't i didn't write these lyrics. they're very funny but i didn't write them because i always try so hard to, to show that what i do is with full respect and love <laughs> and here i am like ah, with, the, with the raspy <laughs> voice at the end just like oh bernadette don't hate me but uh no she she said kind things about me in print since so she doesn't she doesn't hold it against me <laughs> have you ever have you ever had that conversation with her in person no, no. But if you'd like to make that happen, I, I will. I'm available. Okay, good, um, good to know. Uh, no, the the only uh, people over over Twitter or you know social media. Uh, Bernadette said it in an article that she you know, loved my impression. The only person I've talked about it with in person is Kristen Chenoweth, and I've told the story a few times. But yeah, we were performing at an event together, and the producers of the event were not sure if I should impersonate her. And I said, look, uh, we have many, many mutual friends. She's retweeted my stuff. I know she's a supporter of what I do. She sees it in, in the in flattering light. Um, so if you're ready for it, I'll do it. But if you'd rather not, of course, I respect your decision. And they decided it'd be better to not do it. I said, no worries. So I sang my song, a bunch of voices. And uh, after the show, I was so happy to get to, you know, chat with Kristen and look her in the eye because she's my height. So she she came walking up to me and she <laughs> she grabbed me by the shoulder and she said, hey, you didn't do me. Why didn't you do me? Next time you do me, you show all these people what we've got. <laughs> I thought, if that doesn't just, just I want to bring that into a pillow. Show all these people what we've got. I thought that was so classy and so fun. And it was the only way I ever wanted to be reprimanded. It was the best. That's wonderful. <laughs> Meant to be. Meant to be. Yeah. Um, have you, so did you, when did you start doing these impressions? Because like, how did you discover that you could just do Bernadette Peters? Um, 
It started really innocently. And, and again, if people listening to this, I've, I've kind of said this before, so I'll do a nice, succinct version. Um, Sorry for I asking have, questions that you've already no, answered lots no, of places. No, 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 it's okay. It's, just, it's always asked. Um, I, I started doing voices very naturally when I was little. Um, I was a natural mimic. I would hear something, and my parents say they would just hear me singing along to what was on the radio or the TV and sort of change my you know, voice to sing along to it. And the first one they, hear, they say was Judy Garland in The Wizard of Oz. You know, I would sort of change my, of course, I can't, I don't know how I did it when I was, you know, two, but I would sing along and change my voice a little bit to sound a little more cover. And they were like, what is she doing? I didn't know I was doing this. Um, as I got older, I realized that I could like change my voice to sound like other people and that not everybody else could do that. So I knew, oh, that's a little thing I can do. But again, I filed it away. I didn't think I'm going to come in here and do my Judy Garland for everybody in the room. I, I never had that drive or ownership of it. It wasn't until I started doing theater and, you know, being say, them saying, who can, we need someone to do the voice of a little kid. And I'd be like, I can do that, you know, or the old lady or Betty Boop or something. And then I realized, oh, I, okay, so that's a skill. That's a, uh, that's a good thing. Okay. Even then, I didn't sit around and do impressions. What I did do was always listen to a Forbidden Broadway and basically sing along impersonating the impersonators. So this is a short version. By the time Forbidden Broadway um, had an audition that I could go to and I was old enough and it was like, oh, this makes sense. I should go. I knew that I didn't go in thinking, oh, yeah, I do all these impressions. But I knew it wouldn't be embarrassing if they asked me to do, oh, do you do any impressions? Well, yeah, I, I can do Bernadette Peters. I can do. I knew that I could change my voice to sound enough like them that it would be something. Never thought that I would get the job, be put in the show, well-reviewed, and all of a sudden be booked all over town. Like, can you come sing at the Friars Club and do a number with impressions? I was like, okay. So I've been doing it my whole life, but it feels like it happened overnight. And it wasn't until I got that job that I then locked myself you know, in my apartment, just trying desperately to do all these voices and make faces. That's when I took it seriously. So that was 2008. Okay, and then it was like four or five years before your videos then just went vroom. Yeah, because that's why I say, even with that total eclipse, I was playing. You know, in Forbidden Broadway, I was trying to do a lot of Broadway voices. I had always done Celine Dion, I will say that. I always knew that I could do a Celine Dion impression. I don't know. I remember being at a party in, like, junior high or something. And, um like, I guess, like, it'd be, like, seventh grade for us over here. And uh, I remember uh, the song That's the Way It Is came on. Yeah. You know, and that's the way it is. My favorite Celine song, actually, for the record. Yeah, and, and I, I remember singing the, I always said the way she says love is great. So, don't give up on your faith. Love comes to those who believe it. And I was like, love. And everyone was laughing. And I thought, oh, okay, do Celine Dion. They can't do that. I guess that's a cool thing. And Because the only place I heard impressions other than Forbidden Broadway were stand-up comedians who typically did them in a very different way and never singing. Um, or, this is the only other reference I have, which is one of my greatest influences, which most people are surprised by, my biggest influence has always been Sammy Davis Jr. I think he is the greatest all-around performer there has ever been. I think that what he did putting together a, sh a concert was so unique and so layered. I mean, just he could do everything. And one of the things he did was very often he would take one song 
and sing it in the voices of his contemporaries, other people in the Rat Pack, everybody else. And I remember hearing that for the first time, being like, wow, he's, he's just changing his voice to sound like all those people. I was very little when I heard this. So other than that, I didn't really know what to do with it. So when people finally said, you're good at this. I sat down and I took my musical theater training and my love of um, concerts and cabarets. And the other performer that I credit to how I put together my shows is Bette Midler. I love that Bette Midler's shows are a bit of stand-up comedy, a bit of sketch comedy, a bit of total drama standing there in a gown singing a ballad. I mean, you get a bit of everything in a Bette Midler show. And so that's what I, and different genres and different styles. And uh, that's sort of what I like to do. So I, mean, I can't, can't compare myself to Bette Midler or Sammy Davis, but that's my influences in my shows. So I, I found a way to, to put those together. And so when finally, when the phone started ringing, when the video went viral, you know, usually a YouTube video is like Charlie bit my finger and then you can just interview the kids and then it's done. But here they're like, oh, she's singing. She's doing something. Can we book her to do a set at our corporate event or could she do a whole show? And I'd be like, yes, I can. Here it is. So I started putting that show together not long after Forbidden Broadway. And that was my first of now like five or six solo shows. Um, so it's been a, a crazy journey. Never did I think I'd do. Now I do. I don't know how many impressions. People always ask me to count. And they say, the girl of a thousand voices. It's probably more like 200. But <laughs> 200. That is mad. Yeah. Well, that's, that's including like cartoon characters and little niche things and whatever. But they all not count. Yeah, they do. That's what I had to learn too. But again, I, I hate the counting thing. But yeah, a lot of, sure. it doesn't a matter lot of crazy voices. No, I always say quality over quantity because I used to try to do, get them all in one show. And it was like, this is ridiculous. That is hard. And I used to try to do them all very, very quickly. And I think the quality, you can never get an impression out perfectly in like two lines and the quality suffers. And sometimes you go so fast. It's great to go quickly. The audience loves those changes. But it's also possible to go so fast that they all meld into each other. And the audience doesn't even have time to get one before you've moved on. So I've changed my, my approach on that a little bit over the years. So, yeah. Fair anyway, enough. that's another long answer for you. The one I forgot to mention that I also adore, Christina Aguilera. Like, and actually, you do do that in one line on your album when you literally just do that in that one line, and it just nails it. Yeah, I don't do. I, I, when I do full numbers as Christina, as I say, it's um, I always have to place it specifically in my show because she does a lot of the growling. You know, and I'm not going to do it right now because we have neighbors and my dog is sleeping. Hello, but um, it's it can be hard, so I always do it. I like to do it earlier in the show. Uh, so I kind of do it safely when my voice isn't tired or I just kind of throw it in at the end when I'm already like, it's over. <laughs> and that's where it was on that album. The Tony of the heart. She comes to sing <laughs> and always over riffing just a little bit, mm-hmm, a little mm-hmm. bit too much, Gotta be but good. I love her for it. I'm a, I'm, I'm a true Xtina fan. So. And that, that's, what's great about how it all comes across is that it's all, it, it's so obvious that it comes from a place of love. Thank you. Thank you. You were basically like the original Broadway YouTuber because no one else was doing it at the same time as you. So do you ever feel like you set the trend for that? Because now like 54 puts all their videos on YouTube and they never used to do that. And it's I gotta like, say, that is a very nice question. And I'm, I'm very honored that you said that because I, I am one of the first people to do that. <laughs> and I'm also the, it sounds so cocky. I'm also, um, you get the YouTube analytics and they contact you and people have asked me this, is that I started the impression trend 
which now there are people on YouTube, kids on YouTube, I say kids because they're very young, who have way more millions of views than my videos had for doing impressions. And typically it's them in a microphone, lit beautifully, and it's, it's edited. It's not live. I mean, not, not to say they're not good, but it's not live. You know, and it's very polished and very edited. And they do a million voices, like one woman, 76 voices. And it has like 30 million views. That was not what happened to me. My video has like 8 million views. But because I was the first, I got so much coverage. It was like all the media from all over the world reached out. Some from online content, print content, TV shows. And so it is interesting to, to know that what's happening now. And like the kids on TikTok, when I post a video, sometimes they're like, somebody did that before. I'm like, yeah, that's probably me. Like, it's so funny. You know, I remember seeing someone do that, let it go. It was me. But it's, it's fun to be the old lady uh, that started the, the YouTube impression trend. Um, and when it comes to the Broadway community, the only other person that had popular YouTube videos at that point um, was Natalie Weiss. And uh, Natalie Weiss has now gone on, obviously, to... She's such a brilliant businesswoman. She has gone on to take her breaking down the riffs and all that and putting it into a whole business where she can do her own concerts and also do the master classes. Um, and Natalie, she did get to do a Broadway show. She was in... Um, Everyday Rapture, wasn't she in that show? Oh, you looked that I up I think for me. so. But, but it's funny, because we're both sort of like the alternative, like, New York Broadway performer... Um, but we, we were, I, I call us like the first two that were doing that. Like I remember she and I were both booked to play at this popular now closed fabulous gay bar in New York called Splash for the musical theater Mondays, musical Mondays. And it was like, they were asking some big star of some big Broadway show and us. And I was like, yeah, we, we're doing good. We're doing good. And you're like, you know, the, the YouTube was getting popular and getting in. So we kind of got it on the ground floor. It's, it's. Pretty cool. Yeah, 54 Below never put the videos up until Until, until you. <laughs> it's just so funny. My sloppy, silly video. Who would have it's known? It's not sloppy. It's yeah. not sloppy. Um, very quickly, just want to touch on something. Um, Broadway's announced the last couple of days, everything reopening in September. So much has happened since Broadway uh, shows were last open. We've had Black Lives Matter. We've had all this Scott Rudin thing. Everyone's calling for change. What would you like yeah. to see? What do you think needs to happen? All of that. Um, I, you know, it's, you hear so many stories, you know, for, for, for all the, the bad press that comes out about someone like a Scott Rude and you hear stories for years, right? So it doesn't surprise me that that came out and it doesn't surprise me that it's hard for certain people to figure out how to deal with it because, you know, you, I remember watching the balance of people saying, this person should have come out and said something. You never know how someone's going to deal with something. You don't know their story. So I think the only thing I'll say on this end of it is don't be quick to judge other performers for how they've handled the situation because you don't know. You don't know the good they're doing behind the scenes. You don't know. Like, don't, in my opinion, please don't attack Sutton Foster because she didn't say something like um, Karen Olivo did. Don't, don't. You don't know what their situation is. You don't know what was happening behind the scenes. But I will say this. There are so many phenomenal producers who would love to be given opportunities that haven't been given them because of someone like a Scott Rudin. So first of all, uh, and the business side of it, I hope that this means that these um, production companies are willing to take a chance and have other big lead producers and have other producers um, sign on to projects who 
want to get their voice heard and want to get these opportunities. I've spoken to a few of my friends who are producers who go, we can't get in the room. We can't even get in the room to have these meetings for these big talked about projects. One lead producer very often just closes everything off. So hopefully this will lead to that because producers are important but they're not just money people. Very often they are creative, good people. So for every Scott Rudin, there are a hundred producers out there who really care. So I hope, hopefully they'll get their voice heard because I think they get forgotten about in this conversation. Uh, the other side of it, yeah, uh, Broadway has been, in my opinion, for years, very stereotypically um, whitewashed. And uh, I also think very often there's a lot of problems with, uh, you have to be very careful what you say, but there's, there's so many cliques of different kinds. And we have to find a way, if we're the people that are, in, that are um, inviting people in the audience to have conversations, just figuring out how they feel about things, getting their emotions out. It's a cathartic experience. We need to be the artistic space where people can have conversations about this stuff. So then why are you putting the same 12 performers on stage who all have the exact same, typically very thin body type and are typically the exact same color? So I want to see those changes. There's no reason we shouldn't in this day and age. And I think with everything that happened in the past uh, year, year and a half, two years now, it's it's insulting if there isn't a significant change. And some shows have, some shows and some producers have been doing that, so you can't say everyone's always been doing it. But you know, nine times out of ten, that's what you're going to find. And I think that it it's not just what you see on the Broadway level; it's what you see everywhere. Regional theaters; it's what you see. Uh, our union is not strong. They're not strong, and they lose a lot of battles. Um, and so now we're seeing people wanting to see change in the leadership of our union. And again, there's no, not everybody in there is 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 bad or doing the wrong thing. But we need a shakeup, and it's clear that what we've been doing is not working. So I really want to see those changes. I'm so pleased with what I've already seen the West End doing with in regard to casting. Um, Disney's very, very inclusive, and that's so refreshing to see Disney, which, uh, again, Disney, back in the day, you know, when, when they put out Aladdin, everyone went, oh, well, that's nice. It's not just Snow White, Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Ariel. You know, they, they were switching it up. And to see that done, obviously, on a major scale like this live is, is incredible. Um, so I'm babbling about it, but I'd love to see change, but not just in the casting. I want to see it in the producers, and I want to see it in the in the content. And also not just for, not just with race. I want to see short people not being unable to audition for things. I want to see people of different shapes in ages being able to audition for things because there it is a club and it is a click and it's very hard to get in if you're not a cookie cutter so i want to see that change i've seen on your website that you have some upcoming gigs around the u.s yeah. anything you want to plug in 2022 in january before i kind of relocate to the uk i will be doing my own solo show with the indianapolis symphony orchestra under the direction of the very famous and fabulous maestro jack everly uh, i've done it before uh, in canada and in baltimore but this time doing it in indianapolis the home of the iso the greatest symphony so uh, again not the british audience might not know but it's, it's a really big deal and i'm really honored to have it happen so keep an eye out for january 2022 for that Great. thank you so much christina thank you so much i had so much fun oh no it was lovely all, all right. right take, take care, care mikey i'll be in okay, touch perfect. bye, bye. 
All episodes of the Ballad of Anne and Mary podcast are now available wherever you listen to your podcasts, including this one. And you can see Christina in the rise and fall of Little Voice from the 23rd of March next year, where the tour kicks off in Southampton. That's it for this week, but next week I'll be joined by a record-breaking West End performer. Obviously, make sure you're subscribed if you don't want to miss it. And as always, please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next week.